Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn to Zechariah 8.23. Thank you, Brother Toby and team. Zechariah 8, remain standing if you're able to. If not, stand up on the inside. Let's go. Zechariah 8, verse 23, reading from the New International Version today. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take hold, firm hold, of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, quote, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Let's all read that quote together. Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Father, move in power. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. This is very possibly part two from Wednesday. If you didn't catch Wednesday, I will summarize it as succinctly as I possibly can. Coming from 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, as I believe it to be a prophetic word over our church, as I believe that it's a prophetic word over our nation. And then I will tie into this new message, his presence among us. So Wednesday, we preached a word from 1 Samuel 5 and 6, and in summary, here's what took place. In Israel's history, they were apostate. They turned from God. They were in the midst of a battle with the Philistines. And so, in going out to battle with the Philistines, they thought, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, because every time they brought the Ark of the Covenant out, God was with them, and they would win. And so they come up with this plan. They devise a plan. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant out. We'll go against the Philistines, and we will win. However, God was not with them, even though they had the Ark of the Covenant, because they had a sin problem. Eli, who was the high priest, loved God, I believe, with all his heart. And he corrected his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, but they didn't heed his correction. And then he didn't have the horsepower, for whatever reason, to make them obey. And so they caused the people to despise the offering, and you can go and read that. And God was not with them because of sin. But they bring the God box out like a, like a lucky rabbit foot. And so they figure, well, we got the God box, and so it's all going to be good. But it wasn't good. And the prophetic word comes to pass. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. And the God box is captured. The Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. Word comes back to Israel. Eli hears about it. He's so grieved he falls over and breaks his neck and he dies. One of, the, uh, one of his sons, his wife, was giving birth to a boy and she says, name him Ichabod for the glory of God has departed. That's what Ichabod means. Ichabod means the glory has departed. I said on Wednesday, I did not say in this first service, but now I will say in the second, don't ever curse what God's trying to birth in you in the midst of the pain. To Israel, it was all over. To Israel, it was like, our hope is dashed. We're finished. The ark, the ark is gone. Listen, God is able to turn things around no matter how ugly, no matter how desperate, no matter how widespread and difficult it may be. God can birth something in you to bring a change. And the next generation was going to come forth, but she cursed it and named it Ichabod. But God was, in, in fact, moving. In, in fact, was bringing judgment on the nation of the Philistines. And judgment falls, and their god, Dagon, falls, a fish god, like a, a merman. I mean, you know what a mermaid is? Dagon was this fish god, and, but it was half man, half fish. He fell over and broke his head, and basically they wondered about their god after it falls over and breaks your head. You know, if it fall, your god falls over and breaks his head, how many of you know you should start to wonder about that? Like, like money, like money in America. A lot of people asking questions right now. The Philistines are plagued by rats. As a result of the rats, many scholars say that the plague of the rats brought these lice that then caused these tumors to come forth in their secret parts. I'll let you figure that out. Tumors in your secret parts. No thanks. Come on, someone say no thanks. All of the pressure, all the difficulty, all the pain, all the 
very uncomfortable tumors caused them to begin to question whether their God existed and whether they should possibly get rid of the God box, this Ark of the Covenant. So they come up with a plan. And I have to give this to you before we get into the main message here this morning. They come up with a plan, and the plan is this. Well, it's like a test. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make an offering, gold tumors and rats, and we're going to send the, we're going to send the God box, this Ark of the Covenant, we're going to send it back to Israel where it belongs. But we're just going to make sure whether this is God or not, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two, cow, two cows. Everybody say two cows. Two cows that have just calfed. What does that mean? That means they just had calves. And you take these two cows that have just calved, and you're going to tie ropes around them. Actually, it doesn't say that. I'm, I just imagine. Use your imagination when you read Scripture. Take two cows that have calved and bring them and put them in this yoke. Two cows that have never been yoked together. Pry them away from their calves that are bawling and baying and screaming and freaking out. And how many of you ever try to separate? You don't want to separate a moose from its baby, right? Come on, you're in Alaska. You don't get between a mama moose and its, and its calf. Is that correct? The same is true with every animal. Don't, don't come near my kids. Pastor Karen will gouge your eyes out. I'll punch you in the throat. But she... So you understand. Take these two cows. Drag them away, which would take strong men and quite a scene. And can, if you can imagine that. Because everything within a cow, by the way, every part of our nature... As these cows are being dragged away, you can't drag a, a, not, a, not a, a newborn baby to a mother. God help you. A she-bear. You heard of that before? So they, to, to do what they did to these cows was completely contrary to all that, that they were by design by God. They pen up these calves and they're bang and they're screaming. I think ba it's a scene. All of the nobles are there. This is... 1 Samuel 6. And then comes into the crowd the Ark of the Covenant. And I can imagine as the Ark of the Covenant comes in, a holy hush comes over the whole place. And these two cows, their eyes come back from being rolled up in their heads and they're able to be yoked together. And they put the, this Ark of the Covenant, the God box, on top of this brand new cart. And completely contrary to who these cows are, to leave their calves... They walk towards Beth Shemesh under the power and the peace of God. And as they walk to the promised land, as they walk to the, the territory of Israel, the peace and the power of God is on these cows, on this ark, and it rides on out. And it says the five rulers and the nobles and they, the, these pagan fish-worshipping Philistines, Follow two cows and the God box. And when they see it cross over into Beth Shemesh, they're like, oh my gosh, it, 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 it is God. And they watch a worship service take place. The prophetic word, and it's an allegory. I'm pulling it out of context a bit to say this, that when God comes on the likes of you or me, comes upon us and changes us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He makes you a new creation. And no longer are you the angry, fist-swinging, rage-filled, addicted, perhaps angry person who's like a cow or a donkey. The King James uses another word. Your base nature changes who you are. He pulls out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. And when he changes you, when he changes me like that, then your neighbor who knows you're a jerk, they're moved to realize, oh my gosh, maybe God really is, maybe, maybe, whoa. God is transforming people. Zechariah 8 is taking place here because neighbors are seeing that you're changed. Presence-driven, transformative ministry is what our nation needs. Our nation does not need another, you know, just a little religious experience. They need the power and the presence of Almighty God to change the human heart, to change the human heart. And so as we've been doing this series, Healing America, and I, and I, I said 
on Wednesday, and then we'll get into this new message. I said on Wednesday that when God can come upon a cow and change a cow to being filled with peace and pulling his, the ark of God, he can come upon you. If, if God's power on a cow can do that, how much more Christ in you, the hope of glory? How much more the resurrected power of Jesus on the inside of you? You can overcome. You can conquer. You can, you can be like a fragrance of the resurrected power of the Lord to your neighbors, to people that see you, because you used to be a cow, but now you've been transformed by the power of God. Can you say amen? This passage, Zechariah 8.23, was something that the Lord showed me many years ago, and I'm seeing it happen now. I'm seeing people come into this place because they, they knew someone who's come here and has gotten touched by God, and they're different. There's something different. It's not, they're no, what happened? I can't tell you exactly what happened. I just, God, he changed me. The truth of it is this. He is among us. God is among us. Come on, say that. He is among us. God's here. So, well, God's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's true. God, God's everywhere. Theologically, that's true, but his, his presence is touching and changing people. One of the reasons we call ourselves kings is because it's a theological understanding. See, we believe that the king is here. And where the king is, so is his kingdom. George Ladd, great book on the power of the kingdom, wrote about that. Wherever the king is, so is the kingdom. Let's look at this for a moment to understand the dwelling place of God. A look at the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, now we do have notes for you. I encourage you to fill those in as we move along. The Old Testament, there's two focal points on the earth where God's presence, where God dwelled. The first one is the tabernacle. Everybody say the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the tabernacle is basically, it's interesting, it was a pattern given to Moses on the mountain from God, a pattern from heaven. He was to produce a replica of the tabernacle in heaven with materials made precisely the way that God told him, as you see it in heaven, as you saw it on the mountain, so you make it in the earth, and it's called the tabernacle, and God's presence would dwell there. And the second place, the second focal point, is the temple. And the temple made by Solomon is, is, is like the tabernacle, but, but just a little bit different. It wasn't mobile. It stayed in one place. And it's a clear picture of the dwelling place of God in the earth, that God wanted to dwell in the midst, in the middle of where they, in the middle of where they were, wherever they would encamp, the tabernacle was right in the middle of all the tribes. The same is true of the temples, to be in the middle, that God would be in the center. You know, the church used to be the center of the community. It is now, at least in Wasilla. You say, how do you know that? Well, you can see it on the hill over the Welcome to Wasilla sign and the 73,000 square foot building sitting there. But it's really not about a building. It's really about the kingdom of God, and it's really about you and I being filled with the Spirit and letting Him dwell in our homes and our cars, making our kitchens cathedrals and as you know, the, the temple uh, was destroyed. They sinned, and the temple's destroyed a picture that God is no longer dwelling with them. 2,000 years ago, God once and for all settled the problem, and he sent his only begotten son, fully God, fully man. And you can go to John 1. I want you to go there, please. Jesus Christ, God, God himself would come and dwell among us. And John, John 1 and 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He did what? Made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Colossians in chapter 1 reads this. The son is the image of the invisible God. So the invisible God is made visible by Jesus walking the earth. He walked the shores of Galilee. In Colossians 2 and 9, it says, In him, in Christ, in him dwell the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So Jesus is fully God, yet fully man, a bit of a mystery. He healed the sick. He set the captives free, fed the multitudes. He cast out devils. He laid hands on lepers, and they got healed. We see what God is like by looking at Jesus. 
seeing his story end the word. And yet you say, well, pastor, he died though. Yeah, he died. And he said it would be better for him to die and don't forget rose again. And then ascended to heaven. He said, it'd be better for me to leave. I mean, doesn't that make any sense? It's better for me to leave. Why would he say that? Turn to John 14. Why would he say it's better for me to leave? Because it was better. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another. In other words, if it was just Jesus who said, oh, I just wish Jesus would just, wish he just would have stayed. Now that's not how that works. He left to release his spirit, the Holy Spirit, God. Everybody say the Holy Spirit is God's presence. The Holy Spirit is God. Say that. All right. And you begin to get into the mystery of the Trinity. One God, three distinct aspects of him, each fully God. So I don't really understand that. Who made you the understanding and the beacon and pentagon of all virtue and understanding? It's a bit of a mystery. He said, it'd be better for me to go. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept. And John 14, 17 now can accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He'll what? Be in you. You see, it's better for Jesus to go so that he can send the same spirit that raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit, not just inside one man, Christ Jesus, but now in the hearts of every man, every woman, every child who will believe, not every person, everyone who becomes a believer. And if you are a believer, if you've repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God will fill you with his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why the Bible says that the greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's why the Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who I might preach in here. You can do all things through Christ. That's why Jesus says it's better for me to go so I can reproduce myself in you then you would represent, represent him. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 and go to verse 26, please. Ezekiel 36 and 26 is a prophetic word that is echoed by the apostle Paul that talks about this very thing. God is among us, how? By his spirit making his home on the inside of us. He changes us from cows to new creations. He changes us from being dumb as a box of rocks we used to be. But he changes us to make us his ambassadors, to make us his ministers of reconciliation, that when the Philistines look upon you, they know there's got to be a God because they saw you hucking and shucking and jiving and, and, and going crazy, baying freaking out, addicted, depressed. They saw your marriage on the rocks, but now the ark of God, if I could just say it that way, the dwelling place of God is now inside of your heart and you're no longer the same. You don't fly off the handle and you don't lose your mind and all those cars aren't coming to your house late at the night anymore. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Somebody ought to say hallelujah all over this place. Come on. This is a prophetic word. 600 years before it came to pass that God would give you a new heart. God would give you a new heart. That, that it would be a new spirit on the inside of you. Again, Paul, standing on this prophetic word, he uses it when he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Turn there. We'll put it up on the screen too, I believe. And he says, you show that you are a letter from Christ a result of our ministry written not with ink, listen now, but the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone. He's referring to the Ten Commandments of tablets of stone, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's referring to Ezekiel as we just read it. The Spirit of the living God is transforming the hearts of believers. He'll transform your heart. 
And in Ezekiel 37, verse 14, turn there if you can. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And these are all double and even triple prophecies if you study this out. And you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This prophetic word has come to pass for us New Testament believers that God will put his spirit on the inside of you. A Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That ought to make you eat right. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Everybody say, I'm not my own. You were bought with a price. See, you can't do whatever you stink and want to. It's my life, and I do what I want to. Well, not if you belong to Jesus. It's not your life anymore. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased. If I was to redeem a tin can, an aluminum can, for five cents in one of those states that has aluminum can redemption, and I redeem that, let's say I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the redeemer, so I'm going to give somebody five cents for the can. Who owns the can now? I can do what I want to with the aluminum can every day of the week, 24 hours a day, seven days. I can melt the can. I can use the can. You understand? It's been redeemed. It's been purchased back. You pay for that up front, but then you get the five cents back later. Jesus redeemed you. And the cost of your redemption is far more than five cents. It's literally God himself coming in robes of flesh, dying on a cruel Roman cross for your sin and mine. So we've been redeemed. We've been paid for. We've been purchased. So who owns you? God owns you. Jesus owns you. The Lord, the Lord owns you. So your life is not your own. Some of you haven't figured that out. You can't just go out and fornicate. You can't go out and just smoke a whole pile of dope and just rejoice. Forget it. I'm going to be right back. Amen, Pastor. Praise God. It's good preaching. My life's not mine. Yes, your life's not your own. It's an encouraging thing when you're going through persecution and you're going through difficulty just to, to yield and to trust God. Vengeance is mine. Some of you are good. There's some people that are going through some things that are here today. The word of knowledge. You're going through some testing, even some court cases that are taking place. All you need to do is trust God, do the right thing, say the truth, be under the, the hand of the protection of Almighty God, and watch God come and break in with truth, break in with light. Come on, he'll, he'll intervene. Unless, of course, you raise up your own fist, try to fix their wagon. Let the Lord fix the wagon. He's purchased us. He dwells in us. Look at four. The gathered church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Greek word is nios, a dwelling place of God. Now, if you could get a hold of this, and you'll think of this gathering as something far more than perhaps what you think of it now. This is not just a few, you know, a thousand people or gathering on a Sunday to, to, to just sing a little bit and hear a little bit of the word and, you know, go home feeling like we got encouraged. I mean, I hope you get encouraged. Understand that what's taking place here has eternal consequence. And literally, the, that God himself, Ephesians talks about it, God himself dwells among us. And literally, there's things that will happen in church that will not, can't even happen in your own home in your own closet time with the Lord, your own prayer time with Him. Second Corinthians, don't let me like can't happen. Let me say that differently. There's a corporate unction and an authority when the gathered people of God come together. And when we pray, when we decree, when we proclaim, it releases power, the power of heaven in a way that it is not the same as when you're in your prayer closet. Second Corinthians 6 and 16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Literally, when we gather, God's presence comes. That's why we take time, like now, right now, to let his presence just be aware that he's here. 
you have to whisper, no. <laughs> Just trying to get your attention off of your Snapchat. Ephesians 2 and 22, and in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's talking about the church. That whole section of Ephesians is so powerful. All right, how to experience God's presence. Because he wants to change us from being cows to being the dwelling place of God. Well, how, how, how do you experience God's presence? Well, it's, it's very simple, really. A, you all there in your notes? Be holy. Oh, game over. Everybody say, be holy. That's the key. You only experience God's presence and power. You, you, you got to be holy. I mean, that, that's, 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 that's not a little thing. The Holy Spirit, that's Paul's point. You don't sin just because others sin. Be holy personally. Personally. Personal holiness. There's got to be, a, there's gotta be a, a change in the way that we think, a paradigm shift in the way that we think about this. The way we think, oh, gosh, I've got to be holy. I've got to, oh, God. Oh, God, help me. Well, I'm all for asking for God's help. But if you'll have a paradigm shift to realize that actually holiness is a reward that brings a joy and a power and a favor that you will never get any other way. Some of you think that, well, I could just do it. It's my life, and I could do what I want. That's true if it is your life, but once you've given it to Jesus, it isn't. And then to understand, it took me so long to figure this out. It took me so long to figure out that the confines and the boundaries of God's word we're not a bondage to me. Now, at first it was. I'm like, oh, great. Not supposed to lust. Praise the Lord. Let's just all be holy. And I begin to realize, wait a second. Lust doesn't satisfy. And in fact, it leads me down a road of pain and torment. Greed doesn't satisfy. Many people have pierced themselves through with trying to get more and more money made their life about money and worshiping mammon. I need to preach on that. Came this close this morning. One of the main idols in America is mammon. It's like Dagon. They try to prop Dagon back up and he falls over. You try to prop up the economy as much as you want. Economy is not our problem. The problem in America needs healing and the answer to America's woes is Jesus and a great revival. The answer, the healing will come to America when the church of the living God rises and realizes that God's among us and we walk in favor and power and authority and anointing and then people will just say, man, I've got to have what you have. i got to have what you have. I got, what, how do, why are you smiling in the midst of a pandemic? Why are you so filled with joy? What happened to your marriage? Your wife hated you. I mean, you were a jerk. I mean, you're like smoking crack and you never come home at night and who knows who we're with that week? And now look at you now. There's lightning, rays of lightning shining out of your face. Beams of glory just. And your kids, they don't hate you anymore. Holiness. When I, when I realize that, wait a second. That what I do, the way that I live, the way that I think actually is affecting the one who I love. Sure, my family, my wife, my wife, my children, yes, but more than that. It's affecting my walk and my intimacy with you. I remember, I haven't shared this testimony in a long time. I think Hannah was three, two or three. And I got an ice cream cone for her. And she was playing in the sandbox, right? And uh, so I come to, I've got my own ice cream cone. And I come and I, I bring her ice cream cone. There I am. I come walking up to her, and she looks up from the sandbox where her mouth is filled with gravel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I dream. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, you know, just full on sand, just all in there. And she's like, eh? I'm like, oh, no. No, no, no. She's like, ah, ah, you know, I don't remember how old she was. She starts screaming. Crying, we're like, no, look, hold on a second. You know, hold the ice cream cone, pick the kid up. She's probably, I don't know, it's probably a year or less. Bring her, bring her over to the water fountain. Wash her mouth out. She wants you, you know, hold the ice cream cone at distance. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, God's trying to give you the ice cream cone, but your mouth is filled with sand. Lord, how come you never did it? And you're like, 
Well, some of you ain't laughing. That's because we know that's you. <laughs> Come on, let's have a praise break. Just trying to help you get the ice cream cone. You got to live holy. And there's a reward for doing it. I, I used to think like, man, I, now I can't do all that stuff. And then I realized, wait a second, that never helped me anyway. That's a painful life. It's painful to stay bitter and angry over something. It's painful to have unforgiveness. It's painful to be greedy. It's painful to be constantly thinking of lies to cover the lies of the lies that you told. And then, and then you know, it's easier to tell the truth. You, have to, you don't have to remember as much. And the blessing of God, we got to live holy personally as a church living holy. As a church, we come together, the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you come to, some of you have been convicted right now. I just modeled and made sounds of smoking pot. I know some of you have no idea what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. And some of you are like, oh, no, it's okay to smoke dope. Well, I want to just tell you something. Intoxication's wrong. Whether it be alcohol or marijuana or methamphetamines. Come on, someone say hallelujah. The only intoxication that's right is being intoxicated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's no hangovers. And, and it's free. Very costly for God, but free for you. Tap your neighbor and say, he's not talking to me. Is he talking to you? I don't have no idea what he's talking about. When the Holy Spirit comes, you walk in this place, you start feeling convicted about something. The Lord puts his finger on something in your heart that you need to let go. Don't fight him. Yield to that. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're in a place of unholiness, when you're not living right with God, now only God can make somebody holy. That's an imputed righteousness. You're made righteous by the blood. Imputed. Imputed. That means it's righteousness that was purchased for you, given to you as a free gift. But then when you understand that, then you begin to live for God of your own right. You begin to make right choices. It's not just imputed. It's now imparted, and you begin to live righteously. That's called holiness. And we're all in a process of being sanctified. Sanctified, it's a, the sanctification, the daily reckoning, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus upon your life, that he pulls out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh, and you becoming more like him day after day, year after year, month after month. I don't know if you've ever met somebody that's walked with Jesus for 50 or 60 years. I mean, like, really walking with him. I'm not talking about a religious, pharisaical knucklehead who just follows a bunch of rules and is bitter and angry and, and a whitewashed tomb. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who's actually filled with God, who's day reckoned death and resurrection, who's living for him year in, year out. When you talk with people like that, I'm just telling you, they carry something of heaven. There's something about someone that, that's prayed and sought the Lord all their life. When they speak, you should listen. That's, listen, God's making us all to be more like him. Can you say amen? And so church is so important. Don't, don't be embarrassed if you need to repent. Come on, that's what... Somebody's got a church that's full of hypocrites. I ain't going to that church. Bunch of hypocrites. Where else do you think a hypocrite should go, you hypocrite? You should come here so you can get set free. You say, well, pastor, I'm a mess. A cow. A donkey. A jack. God can put his power on your stupid and transform you. Come on, someone say amen. Is there anybody that used to be a, come on, and now, look at you now. I mean, you're not perfect, but forgetting that which lies behind, I press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've been made new. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been redeemed by the blood. Yes. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was broken and messed up, jacked up. Jesus, man, think about you. Think about what God did for you. You were messed up and he saved you. Time and time again, he says. Come on, have a praise break all across this place. When you come into this place and you get convicted, repent. And he changes you. Look at B, get involved in true worship. We're talking about experiencing God's presence. Experiencing God's presence. Get involved in true worship. What does that mean? Praise God by singing. Praise God with music, with instruments. The clapping of your hands. I don't know how you come up with a theology that removes all clapping 
and, and it's got to be a cappella. I don't mean how would you, there's so many scriptures, Old Testament and New, that talk about, there, there are actual places of worship that says no, no instruments, no clapping of your hands, and for God's sake, you better not smile. I mean, he was crucified for God's sake. Feel like you went to the stinking mortuary. We had somebody leave our church a while back and move away. They said, Pastor, I went to a church. I raised my hand and they asked me if I had a question. I mean, we love the body of Christ, but if you wander out of the way of understanding, says Proverbs, you rest in the congregation of the dead. America doesn't need a dead church. It needs an alive church, a church that's on fire, a church that's been transformed, a bunch of cows that got transformed by the power of God so that when pagans and those Dagon-worshipping, uncircumcised Philistines see you, they were like, there's got to be a God. There's numerous words in the Old Testament for worship. David was a worship, the worshiping warrior. But all of the Old Testament words, without going through all that, I'll lose all of you and my, my clock is running away. All of those words in the Old Testament are action words. Yada, lifting of the hand. That's you doing, it's yada, worship. I will offer to the Lord a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? That means you don't feel like worshiping him. Since when is God's worship depend upon your feelings? So, so really your feelings are the one that's God for you. Well, the music's too loud. Well, I don't like that song. Well, I like Southern gospel. You need deliverance and you like Southern gospel. No, I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm teasing. We used to sing a song years ago. It's probably from Straightway or something. That's why nobody knew it this morning. But. Oh, clap your hands and lift them high, for this is day that the Lord drawn on Nile. Oh, clap your hands and lift them high. Put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Pray in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. Come on, Pastor Karen. It's before my time, sorry. What? <laughs> worship, you have to participate in worship. He inhabits the praises of his people. You want to experience more of the presence of God, but you're not willing to wish your hands. Lift your hands. You got your hands in your pockets. You got your hands on your phone. Doing whatever you're doing. Worship. Living holy. Worship. You all with me? Insights of worship in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly... See, that, that's not you not singing. Openly professing his name. To openly profess his name, you must move your mouth. So when the songs come up... Well, listen, the reason we have songs and lyrics up there... Now, that's not the only means of worship. Hello. You can make up your own songs, which we were doing just earlier. Can you come? But you, do I need to sing? Yeah, you need to say, well, I, I don't really sing that good. Well, then make a joyful noise. Just don't scare everybody next to you. But, but you know, in, your, in the privacy of your home, in, the, in, in your car, you can sing as loud as you want. I was worshiping out there with my bees as they were stinging the heck out of me. I got 40 stings, I think. I was like, hallelujah! Oh, God. Listen, I know you might be going through stuff. Offer a sacrifice of praise. You want to experience God's presence and power? Offer a sacrifice of praise. The book of Revelation. Go, go look at that. You don't like worship, you're going to hate heaven. I had somebody tell me, I don't really like the music part of this service. I just come for the end. Well, I think if that's the case, you're going to limit the power and presence of God in your life. And that might not be your style. You know, one of the things I love about the Scott family is 
when they got here. <laughs> Go ahead, tell them. When you got here, you're like, Jack. <laughs> Go ahead, tell, tell them. You know, the worship part of it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, OMG. What is this? The worship was good. It was just like, it was just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was different. Political. It People was can clap on time. Yeah, it was like everybody was clapping like. Rhythmically challenged. And I, I'm not from. As opposed school. to. You know, so. It's a cultural thing. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. My clock is running away. What are you trying to say? We are present-driven ministry. That's who we are. We're a presence-driven church. And in your life, yes, you need to know the word, learn the word, grow by the word, transform, be transformed by the word. Renew your mind. Live holy. Be a worshiper. There's something that happens in this place when the congregation worships. You say, what do you mean by that? Doesn't that happen all the time? No. I know, because I'm standing up here. I can see. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm just saying, when there's, a, when there's an accord in a congregation and people are lifting their voice, they take their eyes off of their self, they take their eyes off of making the opinions about somebody and they begin to lift up the name of the Lord. And there comes an accord, a oneness. There's a unity that comes. And when that happens, his presence comes a whole nother level. There's times that we'll sing in the spirit. And Paul said, I'll sing with my mind, I'll sing with my understanding, and I will sing in the spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. Don't be drunk with wine or smoke pot which leads to debauchery. <laughs> I just try to throw that in, okay. Just because they made it legal doesn't mean you should do it. Okay. Which leads to debauchery instead. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking in one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to one another. Wow. Speaking one to another in psalms and hymns. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my wife, Lord. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my wife. I'd be dead without her. I'd be lost without her. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me a Proverbs 31 woman. Thank you for... God, I can't even, I actually can't even keep doing that because I'll mess myself up. That's the way it should be in your marriage. Some of you never sing over your wife. That's why your things are jacked. Here, you sing over me now, honey. see that? It just jumped right out of me. When's the last time you sang one of your kids a song? A hymn. When's the last time you really did that to the Lord? in the Spirit too, singing in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I'm, I'm almost done. This is like my, my second closing. I know you might have missed the first one, but here, here we go. It's the second one. So what should we do? 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will pray with my spirit and also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit but also sing with my understanding. He's talking about songs that are not written by any man or any, any earthly worship leader. I've been changed. 
That, that's kind of what started happening to me right then. And I better like reel it back. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just have an encounter with the Lord and, and I, I need to finish leading this service. I've been changed by encounters of his power. You can keep regular church. I hate it. Not here. It won't happen here. You have to be so bold about it and everything. I'm mindful that the, the enemy wars against us. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if, and if the enemy can lull you into keeping your mouth shut from worship instead of worshiping, if the enemy can keep you from lifting your voice and being sensitive to his spirit, if he, if he, if he can do that, then he'll hinder the increase of God's power and presence in your life. You, you might not know anything I'm talking about, but I'm telling you, and I'm trying to back it with Scripture because that's where I got the idea to begin with. Then I had my own experience. I've, I've heard the sound. I've come out of services. It wasn't even, wasn't even so much what the preacher preached, but it was an encounter with the worship of heaven changed me. There's times, there's times where I, when there's a unity and an accord in the church, which I just, I'm believing, I'm praying it happens more. Are you serious? Yes. Literally 15% of the people are on their phones right now. Some of you are like making your hamburger for lunch. You're online. You're not listening to anything I said. You'd call that church. Put your hamburger up. You're multitasking. You're multitasking. You're buying something for your, your next trip. You're, you're, you're looking for that thing and you're on Craigslist right now. And then, and then you actually think you actually came to church because you got me in, in your house right now over your phone? Seriously? How about stop looking at Craigslist and let the presence of God come and touch you. I, I'm, I've been guilty of the same thing. But if we're going to have God dwell among us at another level, which is what he wants, which is the only thing that will change, change a cow like you, We've got to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. We have to be people that lift our voices. And we've got to pray. I'm almost done. Pray. Everybody say pray. First Corinthians 14. It's this importance of prayer. Jude 1 and 20. But dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about His presence among us. It's not just some ethereal thing that's just out there. Yeah, God's presence. No, you can actually participate through living holy, through worshiping, through praying. Can you say amen? And, and cause His presence to come. And when we pray here, listen, we pray out loud. You might find that strange, but it's only strange because of the influence of Western culture. You, you, go, you go to the wailing wall right now wailing do you know what that word means it's out loud they're wailing the wall that's there we've been there they're rocking back and forth praying i i took my phone i i felt like the lord said it was okay it wasn't okay for me to to post it but i i went there to the wailing wall i took my phone i pressed video i dropped it into my pocket right and with just a camera hanging out and i went all the way in to the inside where they had Torah and reading different things, but they're all praying. And they're, I got amongst all of these Jews and I had, I had my, uh, my little thing on there. Yarmulke. I thought it was a dreidel, but that's, uh, that's something different. Okay. <laughs> dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Anyway, I put my yarmulke on because you can't even get in there without one. And I, I rec I'm recording and I'm, they are praying more fervently with, under an old covenant than I've seen some churches all of them like, I mean, they're praying, they're praying like Hebrew. They're praying scriptures. They're going back and forth. And as I'm there, they're rocking. I just like, I got into it, you know. I'm like, come on, God, pour out your spirit. I mean, I just lost myself in Pentecostal prayer. I'm praying in English. They're praying in whatever they were praying in. I don't know. I started praying in tongues. I remember rocking back and forth. And this guy looks at me. He's looking at me. I'm like, what's up? In some places, they open and they close in prayer. We'll do that. But I'm telling you, prayer is one of the main reasons you feel God's power and presence here. And we've just begun. We're going to go to another level. Can you say amen? Talking about the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm preaching long.
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door so whether your father hears you praying in secret, he will reward you openly. Why would you need to shut the door if it was quiet? If it was meditative and silent, why would you need to shut the door? Now that's not to say that there isn't meditative and silent prayer. Of course there is. But corporately, it's never the way it is. You come in this place and everybody, I'm trying to teach you to like, don't just, you don't just listen to somebody pray. Now when you're praying corporately in front of somebody like I'm praying right now here, I'll pray. Father, in Jesus' name, pour out your spirit on our state. Pour out your spirit in our nation. Lord, let, let the power of God come upon churches across the land. In the name of Jesus, transform our nation. Bring the transforming power upon every church, every mega church, every church down every gravel road. Raise up apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists. Raise up pastors. God, do it, I pray. Cause America to come back to, to you. Bring an outpouring in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Okay, I prayed in English. When you pray corporately in front of it, you should pray with, your, with their understanding. But it doesn't mean that you in the, in the congregation don't pray with your spirit at the same time. You do. James 5 and 16... Ephesians 6 and 18, powerful, powerful, powerful prayer. Romans 8 and 26, same way Spirit helps us with our weakness. We don't know how we ought, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. What do you think that is? It's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's praying tongues. You, you need that. My, my, my. Holy Spirit prays through me. Ephesians 6, 18, pray on all occasions. All kinds of prayer and requests. Number three, I'm almost done, give. Everybody say give. Give, it's an aspect of worship. And when you give, God will bless you. And he'll move upon your obedience to release more of his power and presence in your life. Somebody hadn't figured that one out. Like you do all of that. If you were like me when you first came in, you do everything but, but that. I'm not doing that because I don't have enough money to give. You don't have enough money not to give. You need to learn to be a giver in all of your life. Ephesians 4.18, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that it be credited to your account. This is Paul talking to the church of Philippi, that it be credited to your account. I've received full payment for, uh, and go, go on, I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ. Giving's an act of worship. 2 Corinthians, Paul's so concerned, he writes in 2 Corinthians 8, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, so see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm talking about having the power and the presence of God in your life. Lastly, I think, preach the word. Everybody say, preach the word. Colossians 2.18, pardon me, 2.8. Many pulpits across the land are filled with psychology. Please hear what I'm about to say. I love biblical-based psychology and counseling, biblical-based, because there is psychology and counseling that is not biblical-based, and I'm a completely 100% opposed to it based on this scripture and many others. And so I've, I've been educated, I've gone to school, I've taken all kinds of counseling classes and everything, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not preaching from the Encyclopedia Britannica, nor will I sit under anybody that's gonna talk about their opinions much. I don't hear a lot of I in the, in the great preachers and teachers that I sit under, and my own pastor, our senior leader, Dr. Morocco, you don't hear a lot of I, I think, I maybe, you don't hear a lot of that. You hear the Word of God being preached unapologetically with power, authority, and anointing. It's the Word of God that will destroy and break off every yoke, not your opinion. God's not obligated to stand over your opinion. He does stand over His Word. Colossians 2 and 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. And that is what is happening. All over this nation, people are being made captive by, by philosophy. Philosophy is the way I see it. Well, the way I see it is, who cares how you see it? How about how God sees it? What does God say about that? 
that. What God, what does God say about the plague that we're in? Well, it'll say Psalm 91 is what he says about the plague that we're in. I'm not having a plague in my house. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. And I don't understand at all that even when we go through difficulty, God's power and presence will be with us. And even though you might have made a mistake, he'll take what the devil meant for evil and he'll turn it for good. He can heal you. He can free you. He can set you free. Come on. But if you yield to the naysaying CNN nightmare, fear mongering all over the place of the deep state nightmare, you can end up living underneath your bed the rest of your life and never walk in power and authority. Can I get an amen? Second Pardon me. Second chapter of Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of the world rather than on Christ. Oh, verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Oh, it just goes on and on. So very powerful. I am not teaching you something that's of my own opinion I'm endeavoring to preach to you albeit a little bit long this morning the word of God God's word Colossians 3:16 let the message of Christ dwell in you richly and teach and admonish one another with all wisdom psalms hymns songs from the spirit singing to God gratitude in your hearts. 1 Corinthians 1 and 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach, not preach. Come on, someone say preach. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us being saved. It is the power of God. The apostle Paul came with demonstration, not just teaching, demonstration. Jesus would demonstrate and he would teach. He would teach and he would demonstrate. You know what we need in church? The same thing you need in your home, the same thing you need at the job, the same thing you need at Fred Myers, the same thing we need at the White House, the same thing we need in every house. We need people preaching the Word of God, Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and then demonstrating the power of the kingdom with His presence. Can you say amen? amen. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the Word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuking courage with great patience. Oh, I'm convicted right there and careful instruction. Listen to verse three. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears are wanting to hear. That is happening now. It's happening all across America. It's happening all across the world. Don't let don't you be selective. Try to hear something that you want to hear. Like, well, I'm not going to that church, or I'm going to go to that church because they're, they're, into, they're into dope smoke. So that's what I'm into. And so, well, we'll just see who's right at the end. Listen, any message of grace that allows you to do more sin is not from God. Let me say that again. I felt the warm fuzzies all over. Any message of grace that, that allows for you to sin more and get away with more is not, a me, it's not the true message of grace. Let the Holy Spirit manifest through you and His gifts. Lift your hands all across this place. My final close. Father, thank you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I give you the opportunity now to give your heart to Christ. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. If you've never received him, you never acknowledged him as the payment for your sin and ask him to forgive you. Repented, ask him to forgive you and to come into your heart. And you want to do that today. You want heaven to be your home. You want to turn your back on sin. You want to turn your back on the world today want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time or a recommitment all across this place? You say, that's me, Pastor. Wonderful. If that's you, pray this right out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. 
forgive me of all of my sin and come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. Thank you for loving me, and thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray, fill and touch. Break every chain, break every bondage. Release your power now upon every man, every woman, every child. Release your power to heal those online on every platform, those listening in the future by podcast or on Spotify. In the name of Jesus, those in the parking lot on 1610 AM, release your power now. Break off depression. Break off anxiety. Break off addiction. Break off the assignment of the enemy. Break off the curse now. In the name of Jesus, release your power. Release your healing touch. Release your presence right now. Come on, stand up on your feet. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.